Welcome to the Actionable Futurist Podcast, a show all about the near-term future with practical and actionable advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of? With voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and actionable futurist, Andrew Grill. Today's guest is Andy Wood, Vice President for Regulatory Strategy at Wikiva. She's an expert in the role of technology and corporate reporting, taxonomy design and data modelling, and holds a wealth of knowledge and deep understanding of the impact of EU and UK regulation on global firms, particularly in the areas of corporate transparency and ESG. Previously, she was a Senior Technical Manager for the IFRS Foundation, helping to develop the IFRS taxonomy and standards, and she's also served as a technical expert at Global Audit and consulting firm Ernst & Young. Andy's a frequent speaker on trends in technology for corporate reporting and has also written a column on technology and COVID impacts. She holds a BA in Biological Sciences from St. Catherine's College at Oxford University. And today she's coming to us from Paris. Welcome, Andy. Thank you very much. It's really great to be here. A big and important topic to talk about today, finance and sustainability. But before we jump into this, for those who may not heard of Workiva, what do you do and what problems do you solve? I'm vice president for regulatory strategy. So you'll have to, um, I, I deal with the experts of the technology and corporate reporting. Um, so I, I talk primarily in that area. But the company itself actually is um, a cloud native platform. Um, so it's a platform that allows companies to automate, um, especially automating the tedious manual activities, all the way from collecting and gathering data that's needed for various processes to putting it out in some kind of report. Um, we're often used in um, controlled or regulatory spaces like finance like increasingly non-financial reporting as well, um, because the one of the whole aims of the platform is to bring the people together and the processes together, but to do it in a controlled environment so that it is able to be audited in future. Um, and there is a certain level of comfort and assurance over whether that number has got through from the data source to the report um, in one piece. Now, in my intro, I mentioned your involvement in ESG, and you're actually the first ESG native person I've had on the podcast. So perhaps you could give us a good definition of what ESG really is and why it's now critical for all companies to consider. I've actually had quite a few good conversations recently where one of the things we've actually started with is the fact that even amongst a number of experts in ESG and sustainability matters on a panel, it's not necessarily always agreed what those two terms mean. Um, so, I mean, the, the letters E, S and G are reasonably easy to expand. We're talking about environmental, social and governance issues. And I think that that always feels like that should be relatively straightforward. Um, but you may have noticed there have been a number of somewhat critical articles, one might say, uh, in the press recently. They're sort of looking at the interlinking between those three subjects, whether they should always be considered together and whether maybe just taking those three pillars is in fact limiting the way that companies are, are thinking about broader issues that are, are say, outside finance. Um, I think the term sustainability is one that I, I like to use more often because the concept of a sustainable company um, and it's reporting on issues related to that sustainability, I think, is is much more all-encompassing. And for me, it tends to feel like it's got a much clearer goal. And then within that, obviously, those topics of environment, social and governance are very, very important. I'm old enough to remember when we talked about corporate social responsibility and CSR was the big thing. And I did a lot of work with Unilever, who were quite uh, active in that space. But now we've moved to ESG. You know, I'm sure that people haven't really thought about the link between the finance function and sustainability necessarily. Do you think more CFOs should be thinking more about this topic? I do think that. Now, I mean, 
uh, businesses are under a lot of pressure to produce sustainability data that's not just for their own benefit, but to produce it in a way that is actually clear and consistent and comparable um, so that it is of use to external stakeholders. And I say stakeholders quite deliberately. So that includes investors, but there's also that concept of, of the broader stakeholder community that includes people like employees um, and the, the general consumer public and regulators and in general, the communities that expect to be able to see how a company is impacting them. And I think whilst some of that might sound a little alien to the finance teams who are very much often all about internal financial numbers, the things that finance teams really have are the the experience in taking data sets, um, bringing them into a controlled environment um, and also understanding and translating the different impacts that they see into a financial impact on companies and, and working with the value of that. Um, so I think the CFOs potentially have a very important role to play in helping um, sustainability departments and sustainability teams move um, the way that they produce their reporting, which in, in some cases is of necessity involves a lot of data from across a corporate environment into something that is a much more controlled reporting environment. Um, because as we'll talk about later, we see there's a lot of evolution there for the future expectations of, of how that data needs to be produced and how reliable it needs to be. And one thing we'll cover, I think, is where the CFOs need to know what sort of data they need, because it's sometimes data they haven't had access to in order to measure sustainability. Now, you've spent much of your career looking at how to measure the impact of sustainability initiatives. Peter Drucker is often quoted as saying, you can't manage what you can't measure. So how does a company go about measuring their sustainability impacts? Where do they start? This is a very, very frequently discussed topic. Um, and I think that that quote is one that I have heard many, many times at different conferences from different people. I think it's one of the most important principles but it's also for a number of the different issues within the sustainability umbrella, actually really quite difficult to achieve. Um, so, I mean, we've got a couple of examples here. So I think almost everybody has thought about at some point measuring their energy consumption. We know that the energy consumption is one of those contributors to carbon emissions and to other emissions. Um, and for a lot of people, I mean, my, I, for example, myself, I have what is called a smart meter. So I can actually look directly at my own personal household uh, energy use. And companies can do something as simple as that for facilities and so on. It's, it's very measurable. It's very easy to impact. Um, and it's then equally that very much helps companies take a next step and say, well, what can I do to reduce that number? Um, and I think that's where that measurability is important. Obviously, there are also, however, a number of things that are a lot more intangible um, or we just haven't worked through precisely what the most um, effective or science-based way of measuring them is yet. Um, so we've got, for example, supply chain risk or satisfaction levels of employees. And you know, we, we do use surveys and we do use various methodologies to try and, and measure those things. Um, but I think that another thing that companies are struggling in some cases to get sort of a little bit comfortable with is to what extent it is sensible to use estimates to help with those processes and to what extent it is sensible to say, I'm going to measure some of this to the best of my ability, but then I'm going to, to get comfortable with the concept of considering intangibles as, as something that I'm going to use to help make my decisions. You mentioned you've got a smart meter in your home, and I think a lot of people are now having that there. And I spoke at a housing conference a few months ago where I said, you know, that can actually help drive behaviour. If the end user can see how much energy they're consuming or, or they're, they're saving, it may change their behaviour. So if we extrapolate that to a corporation, maybe a CFO needs a dashboard showing their energy usage, maybe not real time, but he or she can then say, well, we're trending up and that's going to impact our ESG ratings and other sort of things. So can technology and maybe Internet of Things, IoT, we might talk about that a bit later on as one way of measuring all this. If you make the data real, 
at that senior C level, do you think that actually will drive uh, measurable impacts and will change their behavior across the whole company? This actually came up recently in a discussion I was in. It was um, The question was sort of more along the lines of, well, do you think um, that if we solve all the problems we currently have with collecting the data necessary for sustainability, that will automatically make it sustainable? Um, and the answer, I think, that was agreed by the panel was, no, it doesn't automatically do that. What it does is it provides um, both companies internally and their stakeholders externally the information they need to understand what it is they have to do to become more sustainable, um, where they are most likely to have the biggest impact, for example, if they decide to address an issue. Um, and I think that whether or not that then automatically or whether that then leads to a more sustainable company will depend very much on the application of the strategy, whether a company decides to go ahead and mitigate those risks, whether they decide to go ahead and transition. Um, so there's still, you know, I don't think the data necessarily it doesn't produce an automatic response, but I think it's it's very, very important for allowing everybody to make informed decisions. And that definitely applies to the investors and stakeholders as well. Now, one other lever that we can pull is regulation. I, a lot of things that have happened, open banking is one example where the banks wouldn't have changed their behavior had they not been regulated by the EU. We've now got fairly strong regulation around ESG impacts. But are the regulators catching up with the need for better reporting on ESG impacts? some areas we feel that regulation is driving practice and in other areas I think we kind of feel like maybe the regulators are catching up with the way the markets are pushing in the first place um, and I, I think some of those those dual pressures sort of also results a little bit in regulation being in a place where it's still very much evolving and there are different aspects that are in slightly different places and slightly different timescales which I know for some industries is very challenging um, so for example the the broader EU initiative of sustainable finance, is incredibly important. I think some of the estimates for the amount of money that are needed for society as a whole across the region to transition are quite high. And of course, there are parallel initiatives in the UK as well. Um, and a lot of that depends on regulation. For, for example, the, the taxonomies of sustainable activities, um, which may well expand to include the taxonomies of sustainably social activities in the future as well. Without those definitions, it's incredibly hard for there to be consistency in what activities are um, and go into making up green products or green financial products or indeed green retail products for that matter. Um, but on the other hand, that requires the data, which means the data needs to be mandated um, or needs to be achieved. I think uh, investors and society have, have asked for data from companies. They've got quite a lot of it, but there's a need for that consistency and that standardization. And that's where that regulation really, really plays a strong role because it brings the consistency and it makes it available to those that need it. Um, although, obviously, we're now waiting for all the different timescales to catch up with each other. So standardization looks like it'll be a, a key thing because like anything, the reason that we can use your mobile phone in France as you can use it in the UK is because of a thing called the GSM standard. That will become more and more important. And when we think about that, the interoperability, but also the need to report on the same things. And so are we seeing a shift towards greater standardization across reporting in different markets? I would say that we are, but it's a quite a the, the road to standardization is not necessarily going to be a wholly smooth one. And it is quite a complex road. Um there are quite a few lessons to learn from financial reporting here, and I know that it's going to be incredibly helpful that at least one of these initiatives towards standardisation is the International Sustainability Standards Board. That sits within the same organisation as the International Accountancy Standards Board. Um, because the, the 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 sharing of the practices there is very, very much parallel with the way we described sustainability and finance teams earlier. Um, I think that standardization is, is very, very important. We will see common metrics emerging and we will see 
it's a little dependent on politics and, and global um, application of the standards, but I think we do see that drive towards more consistency so that the data downstream is more consistent. But I don't think any of these initiatives want to lose the ability for companies to disclose things that are material to them. Um, and I think we'll probably touch at some point on that being a very, very important point for companies to understand as well as, as having data available, because of course, mountains of data, again, it doesn't necessarily directly lead to sustainable activity. There needs to be decisions made and there needs to be a knowledge of where the priorities lie in that. Um, hopefully that's another area though, that regulation will help. It will give people a little bit more direction on priorities along with consultations with stakeholders. Is there one country or even company that's achieved the gold standard when it comes to reporting on ESG compliance, or is that too early to tell or is it an unfair question? I think it's a little bit of a, a broad area to try and pick out one one leader, as it were. Um, so, for example, different jurisdictions are, are known for their initiatives in different areas. I'd say the, the UK is, uh, certainly we often hear it very much quoted, the strategic reports and the governance initiatives and um, that recent paper looking at it, sort of improving um, various aspects of corporate corporate governance within the scope of also improving audit as well. Um, so we see kind of that happening. I think the EU and its sustainable finance initiative and the Green Deal, that's that's often quoted as being something that's um, very, very, uh, a little bit ahead of some of the rest of the world. But I mean, also they do have, the, the EU has a very large amount of money already flowing through its sustainable finance system, which is another sort of leading number that's often quoted. Um, but other jurisdictions have sort of been first to specific initiatives. Um, so I think it's it's a little bit mixed. Um, and we, we do see sort of also within individual companies, we see very, very much some companies really embracing this um, moving forward. But obviously, they're often in very different sectors. So we see them being leading in different areas or, or embracing particular um, areas of areas of improvement first, basically. I mean, I, back to that prioritization and really picking out what it is that's the important thing to improve first. When we think about reporting on a company, many of us would think about the financial statements or corporate government statements. What will the new regulations mean for reporting ESG initiatives and the progress of those? The financial statements and the corporate governance statements, I mean, for many companies, those are really embedded processes, or at least you know, they're in a very good place where they've been working on them for years. Um, for ESG initiatives and progress, I think what we see is there's a lot of variation in what's out there at the moment, which means that looking at exactly what impact the regulation will have depends massively on which country somebody's in, even if they're within the EU, um, and the current industry that they're in. Obviously, some industries have had to be in a very good place already, or at least strongly considering trans the way they're going to transition, because they're under much more pressure than other industries. Um, but if I was going to sort of try and generalise that, I'd say the sort of the the big thing that we'll see regulation bringing in is that consistency we've already discussed, but also a kind of broadness of scope of the types of topics that are discussed. Um, so within that um, framework of what is material for a company for its stakeholders? What are the important topics they really need to tell their stakeholder audience? We've also got topics coming in that companies haven't necessarily been broadly across the market considering. And I think those are the things that we'll see coming into reports that affect all the different organisations, including some of the more mature ones. I mean, biodiversity is, is currently one of the most discussed topics in that area that um, a lot of organisations just won't have um, been considering for operational reasons. So companies value their brands and goodwill as part of their bottom line. And I've argued for a, a while that we need to see the value of their data also as an asset. But as a broad concept, how far away do you think we are from seeing ESG listed and valued on the P&L? So I'm, I think this is a, a very interesting question because 
I know that um, financial standard setters, including the um, IFRS Foundation and the ISB, have argued for some time that in many of these factors are kind of already there and are already priced in, or they're already considered as part of at least some of the intangible reporting that happens. Or, um, for example, in the case of impact on leasing, you know, some of the value of, of the impact on what happens with land or for buildings should already be, you know, being factored in. Um, so I kind of, I, I think the, for me, the interesting question is at what point will we see, or if we will see financial statements actively calling out line items that are aligned with specific ESG metrics and topics. So, you know, instead of being a sort of a generic disclosure that there is a risk of a court case, for example, um, that we're starting to see line items come in that say, this is what we think the, the you know, the, the potential uh, loss from a certain climate effect is likely to be and being called out as within that context. Um, and I kind of think that for some big effects, we will start that happening. Um, they will reach that kind of top level. Um, I think a lot of it we'll see still hidden, visible in the notes maybe, or visible in the sustainability statements where where they're called out in more detail. Um, but I think we will see them grouped in and, and appearing as components of the other numbers. We'll talk about the benefits of being a good environmental citizen soon, because there are some tangible benefits there as well. Maybe we might see a very forward-thinking CEO, he or she might say, well, actually, we want to call this out. We've given you some guidance on our financials. We're going to give you some guidance on our ESG targets. We're not going to make them or we're going to knock them out of the park. And we want you to come and join our company as a result. Obviously, there's a lot of data flowing around here. You're a cloud platform. How does the Workiva platform help with this incredible level of reporting that's required? There are there are multiple pieces to this this process, and I think it's worth sort of considering why it is that a platform is a good solution for the pieces of that process. So, firstly, obviously, we're a cloud solution. Um, many, despite the fact that it's not necessarily an ESG specific function, collaboration and um, the process part of this is very very important in the ESG space because for most organisations, this is literally operation wide. Um, so obviously, we all talk about needing processes to have good collaborative team involvement. We often see, you know, different teams needing to work together on things. But I think in ESG, we we see very much that there's a need to literally have, at least at some point, teams, um, individuals contributing from across an entire organization. And then we also look at the data, the fact that the data is needed from across, not only within an organization, but from without an organization as well. Um, so I think that Specifically, the platform helps because it's it has a number of tools that can be made available to cross different fit for purpose sort of solutions. ESG itself is itself as across many of those solutions, as well as being something that companies want to solve in its own right as a problem. It's intelligent, it's intuitive, it connects the data all the way through from the beginning of the process to the end. And so the aim is that it brings consistent reporting. It gives a really clear understanding of the process progress that a company is making because it keeps all that process and progress in the same place. It brings all the stakeholders together um, and it really, really helps to, to be not just transparent reporting to the outside world, but transparent visibility of how everything's working within an operation as well. Because ESG isn't just about saying we're going to put a report out that's going to go out to our stakeholders. It's also all about how those metrics and how those operational impacts are working internally and how strategically a company is working internally to improve its general sustainability for the long term. So I think it's it's very, very important that there's that broad, broad scope of um, transformation and transparency there. Back to that famous Drucker quote, you can't manage what you can't measure. Your platform gives people the tools to measure it. What they do with it is then up to them, but you've got to be able to measure this to actually have any semblance of understanding where you're tracking. You've got to be able to see what's going on. Um, 
it's certainly not one of those processes that's going to, to sort of naturally progress if there is no visibility into where the current state is, for example. Um, lots of companies do talk about saying, well, how on earth do I get started if I don't have the data? Because it feels a bit like a difficult circular problem. Um, but I think, you know, we talk about there being sort of key steps. That first one I've mentioned several times already is to understand what is material, what stakeholders are demanding, use that to help prioritize. Um, and I think the, the other one is estimate where necessary, get going, um, and just finally be prepared to evolve. Um, the standards are going to change, the regulations are going to change, and companies are going to want to improve and work on the way their processes are currently going at the moment. So let's now focus on the E in ESG. You recently released some findings from a report you commissioned around this. Where are organisations currently spending their ESG budget? Is it proportional between the E, S and G, or does this need to evolve? Do they need separate allocations for the E, S and G so that one area isn't sacrificed over the other? Or, or is that, again, an unfair question? I think it's rather hard to separate. Um, obviously, we, we asked people sort of a number of questions about how they're thinking around um, ESG in their organisations. Um, but I think in we, we see sort of there's, there's various value to businesses, but the budget allocation, I mean, the results we got were that one third of organisations um, view achieving carbon accounting level of, of data sort of 33% and greenhouse gases 30% as their biggest challenges. Um, and I think 43% said their internal budget will be to, devoted to that environment, those environmental factors. And then, you know, you've got sort of 29 on social and 28 of governance. That's not that far off a relatively even split. Um, but I also suspect that um, E is a, is genuinely a big priority at the moment. It's got a lot of the focus and certainly the way that global regulation is evolving. E is more prominent if you take it all as a bigger picture. Um, obviously, there's very strong S and G aspects in different regions, but E is kind of the, the top top front. But it, I think it's also very hard to achieve those results at E without a little bit of consideration of just transition and social factors. And it's going to be very hard as well to achieve that transition without a good focus on governance. So um, I, I, I find those splits to be pretty representative of, of the way the outside world looks, but suspect that there is there is budgetary need across the picture for it to actually work. Now, yesterday is an example of companies wanting to parade their green ESG credentials. I was up in King's Cross and there's a huge Google campus being built there. On the side of the hoardings, it had this really interesting phrase. They said, reduce, use renewables, then offset. I hear a lot about people talking about carbon credits. You know, I've, I've done a long plane trip, so I'll just plant some trees somewhere and that'll solve the problem. But it's this message that says, perhaps we got it all wrong. What's your view here? I've had some really good um, discussions, actually, about where offsetting can and should play a good role. Um, and I think there's there's a bit of a tendency to either say, well, offsetting is going to be my, you know, the easiest solution. And I think some people therefore see it a bit as greenwash. Um, you know, some companies will just pile in, look at the problems they've got in front of them and go, we just need to start offsetting some of this. It's going to be the only thing we can do. Um, but um, I also think that um, transition takes time and um, we don't necessarily want to accept the current level of carbon impact for as long as it takes for transition to be able to functionally happen. So personally, I think there's a, there's a pretty strong role for well well-considered offsetting and you know and um, well-regulated use of things like carbon credits in order to help us balance out our activity while we get ourselves in a much much better place um, but I do say sort of well-regulated and well-considered because I think we we do see increasingly in the press sort of 
looking at a little bit more in depth about what some of those carbon offsetting schemes are actually achieving, how long, are, for example, the tree is going to live, um, you know, who is going to be responsible for making sure they're replaced at the appropriate moments in time and that kind of thing. So I'm really, really positive, actually, that we're thinking more deeply about what offsetting means. Um, but I think there's, we're also in a situation where if we don't start to, to, to take some sort of the shorter term or at least those more immediate steps, um, we're not going to do as much about the impact as we need to before we're able to transition. So we've talked a lot about measurement, and I do a lot of work in the Internet of Things or IoT space, and buildings are becoming smarter and smarter. In fact, sensors now can last up to 10 years, and they're even being baked into concrete, which means you have the ability to measure almost anything in a building, not that people do. What sort of things need to be measured, and can IoT sensors be used to better report and measure the impact of ESG? I certainly think that um, in the, the the sense that they contribute very directly to the the data we've got available for for modeling and for changing behavior, um, those sensors can can have quite a significant in contribution. Um, I do hear some sort of speculation or ideas. There's a lot of um, people working on some probably quite good in the long term ideas for how the Internet of Things can contribute to better tracking and so on in certain circumstances. Um, but I think some of those will have to evolve over time. But certainly static sensors in own properties, in own buildings, on, on in, in areas where we're able to get them into the structure in the first place are going to be very, very useful. Um, there's a little bit of a risk of data overload. I know that um, some organizations are not certainly necessarily set up right now to be able to do to use that data for modeling, say. Um, but at least in the meantime, the, you know, the high level figures are going to be a useful way of working out where where the biggest problems are and, and helping feed into um, what's addressable for the targets and, and for, for addressing the things that the stakeholders care about. Sustainable businesses seem like a no-brainer for the environment, but there must be a range of other benefits. Maybe you can talk about these, you know, what's the true value of a sustainable business to the true bottom line? Obviously, there are a significant number of benefits that are quoted reasonably often um, just in terms of um, the way that an organisation operates and how it interacts with its stakeholders. Um, so, for example, we have employee recruitment, um, employee morale, um, and those all came out very strongly as things that com companies talked about in our survey. I mean, um, they were all up in sort of the, the seven in ten, so that these were positive impacts that they were already seeing. Um, I know that we we also talk very much. We want to see not just sort of these uh, this this kind of um, slightly more intangible benefit. People want to see real capital benefits, um, and I think that we hear a number of examples in the market of where both um, good evaluation of not just climate risk but climate opportunity um, is allowing companies to start to to move things in a direction that doesn't just mitigate risk but allows them to actively improve and to make um, money in new areas um, or to take advantage of, of gaps in the market or the the way that the market's moving in a specific direction. And sometimes that could be incredibly small things like, for example, uh, removing an extra layer of packaging from a premium product. Um, that's an, That really is it's a, it's an activity that significantly improves the sustainability or the impact, reduces the impact. But it also genuinely saves the company money. It's no longer spending money on additional pieces of packaging and consumers are now much more ready to accept that kind of change. Um, so I think there are genuinely going to be, uh, for certainly for companies who really sort of look beyond the risk and start to look at the opportunities, they're going to be in a good position to see real financial benefits from the transition to sustainability. 
What I'm hearing is that the young leaders of the future, the Gen Y, Z, Alpha and Beta, they have a real environmental heart. They, they want to know that the companies they're buying products from, the companies they're working for, have a true sustainability agenda. So I would like to see, again, a very bold CEO saying, you know, these are our targets. If you join us, you'll actually help to save the planet. So I I think there are some real tangible acquisition tools rather than just greenwashing. Actually, we haven't got it right, but we want you to join. And one of your roles, part of your job, and, and maybe part of how you're bonused is to help us solve these issues. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these credentials, these figures being out there very boldly to say, come and join us because we actually are a very um, ethical, sustainable company. Are you seeing more of that at the moment or is this just a, a pipe dream from a futurist? We do see some of that. I mean, the extent to which these metrics form maybe um, part of pay and, and structuring for rewards and things, I think is still a little bit in its early days. I mean, we are just about starting to see some companies, for example, produce um, targets for their executives that may be aligned with achieving certain sustainable goals or certain things that they have um, set themselves as sustainability targets. Um, so I think we're definitely moving in that direction. Um, I think that the issue is going to be that I think it's going to change over time. My concept now of what exactly is going to be the way that a company, it's, it's, this incentive is produced for a new sustainable future doesn't necessarily align with actually what we're going to, to see coming up in the future, in the longer term, maybe. So um, I don't think it's a pipe dream. I'm just, I tend to feel that we're going to be in a slightly different place because ESG moves really quickly. It's very, very dynamic as an environment. I uh, went to London Tech Week and I heard a very passionate speech from the CEO of Octopus Energy. He's probably similar to you, very passionate about this. He talks very pragmatically about what we need to do. And I think more people that that hear his message, hear your message, will actually say, well, I want to join a company that can do that. But I just want to finish with one topic before we go to a quick fire. Talk about trusting the data. Lots of data flying around here. I'm not suggesting for a moment that people would fabricate data because you wouldn't do that with your financials. Do you think customers trust the data they're seeing and what could be done to give them more confidence in the data that they're seeing? We've done a sort of a couple of surveys. So in 2021, some of our research was looking at um, gaining investor trust. This was specifically individual investors. So this is very much in that kind of area of the individuals out there and the the future employees of the company almost as well. Um, And 68% said they want ESG data they can trust, but 50% find it difficult to trust a company's actions and what they say. Um, And I think 72% of all the global respondents don't feel confident in the data currently being reported. So the end user obviously isn't feeling full trust in those figures right now, certainly at that that individual level. It's also proving incredibly challenging for those at the asset manager and the asset owner level as well, at least in part because of that mismatch in timing that's sort of happened within the regulatory world as everything races to try and happen at the same time and isn't necessarily fully synchronized yet. As I said, people may well have to get used to for a while at least, and, and maybe even a little in the longer term. We're very, very used to reporting on historical data. It's nice and solid. Um, sometimes we might have to improve our process to get the, you know, those numbers in a more trusted place so that we know where it's come from and we know who's edited it. But it's historic. We're, we're pretty comfortable with it. A lot of ESG is forward-looking. Estimates are a part of that. And then I think it doesn't help if the processes are not contributing to it, having an, an idea internally of, where the numbers come from and whether or not it's been edited or who came up with the estimate or which calculations went into producing that estimate, which methodology was used. Um, So I think trust is just so important all the way along the train. If a company gets its own internal operations into a nice trusted place, I think it's going to show in the market because their targets are going to look solid. Their progress towards the targets is going to look 
like it's been calculated. They can explain to people how they got to those numbers. They can bring the, or more importantly, as the regulation says they're going to have to, they can bring the auditors in and they can get an insurance engagement on those numbers. Andy, a really interesting discussion. So you've opened my eyes into the, the different facets, not just being ESG aware, but actually reporting on it. But we'd like to know a little bit more about you. So I'm going to run you through a quick fire round so the audience can understand a little bit more about you, the, the person behind the ESG mask iPhone or Android? Oh, Android at the phone level, although I do love Apple's larger devices. I'm, I'm obviously a bit undecided. Window or aisle? Window seat. Online or in the room? Oh, this one I'm going to have to cheat. I'm, I'm very definitely a both. Um, I'm partly a remote worker, but I also really, really like to get into the room and talk to everybody on that reasonably regular basis. So suited to the hybrid world, I think. Your biggest hope? That we keep moving forward. What's the app you use most on your phone? I did check the data for this one because it's now possible to do that. So on my phone, it's basically WhatsApp. Um, That's in part because I'm very diverse with my devices. It's email on pretty much everything else. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Basically, just sort of don't stop being you. As you get older, get more experienced, um, all sorts of things change. But um, different people have at different times said to me that the important thing is to try and make sure that whatever you're doing, you get to be you. What are you reading at the moment? If I'm not talking about work, I am reading a murder mystery because there is nothing more relaxing than a good bit of working out some problems and problem solving in a book. Who should I invite next onto the podcast? Anne Bowden has been in the news again a bit recently. She's the CEO of Starling Bank. I've always been sort of very interested in how she sees sort of the future of financial services and that challenger bank angle, but also just from the angle of someone who is a woman who's been in financial services for a long time. So I, I always quite like to hear more from her. Yeah, I've met Anne and I've heard her speak many times. It's a great story, Starling Bank. And uh, I think you're probably referencing there's a thing about people who are later in their career that decide to throw it all in and do something different. And it, it's a very brave thing to do, but I think she's made a, a great success of it. Final quick fire question. How do you want to be remembered? If I'm going to be remembered, then probably for all sorts of random things. Um, you may notice that I've got a slightly diverse background, degree in biological sciences. Um, I like the variety. So I'd like people to remember that variety if they're going to remember me. So as this is the Actionable Futurist podcast, what three actionable things should our audience do today when it comes to moving towards a more sustainable business? Firstly, make sure they've got a really clear understanding of what's happening now, what's coming up, um, especially in terms of regulation. Um, But I think despite that, to not wait until those things come into effect. Um, One of the the things that I think I hear companies talking about a lot is saying things like, I don't quite know what to do now. Um, I'm just going to wait so the regulation tells me exactly what to do. Um, But I think with the rate that regulators are trying to move, um, that could prove very costly. So start moving, don't wait. The next one is improve that collaboration we were talking about earlier, both between finance and ESG. I think um, it's not just sort of uh, this conversation. I think there are a lot of different teams and companies who are realizing that that's going to be extremely helpful. Um, but also across the organization because of that need for the information from across the business. And thirdly, um, keep communicating. Ensure that there are clear communications about um, not only the company's targets, but about what that business value of those ESG topics and in in general that sustainability of the organization is. um, And make sure everybody understands it. Employees, um, investors, stakeholders, the market, just have a nice, clear, consistent vision of, of how it is that that sustainable value is, is going to manifest. How can people find out more about you and your work? LinkedIn primarily. I, I have an account on Twitter as well. So on LinkedIn, I'm Andromeda Wood, which is my full name and the same on Twitter. And obviously, you can find out a lot more about our company on our website, which is workiva.com. So that's W-O-R-K-I-V-A. 
Um, and you can also find work either across all the usual social media forums. So you'll see us out there on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Andy, thank you so much for your time today. A fantastic discussion. Travel safely and reduce your use. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Actionable Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at actionablefuturist.com. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops delivered in person or virtually at actionablefuturist.com. Until next time, this has been the Actionable Futurist Podcast.